Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, everyone. I'm your host, Ian, and we are talking all the news that made headlines in the world of pro wrestling this week. But as always, we will omit any information, any news reports that are out there which could spoil future shows, storylines, angles, or anything like that, so that you can enjoy you can enjoy pro wrestling the way it is meant to be presented to you. Now, most of we're going to start off with the Survivor Series this week. It was the biggest event to take place this week. And I argue that if you want to, you can pretend the Survivor Series is the biggest night of the year for WWE. It's not. It's not treated with that level of importance. As I think, I, I'm sure we discussed this a little bit last week, and it's this is all in the article that's up on the website right now. Um, but basically, my point here is that if wrestling was real, if this was a real sport, the Survivor Series, under its current format of the champions from one brand taking on the champions from another brand, this would be the biggest night of the year. This would be WWE's playoffs. It would be the World Series. It would be the Super Bowl. I mean, in baseball, in basically in all sports, the only time you'll have the conference champion from one league, you know, the Eastern Conference champions facing the Western Conference champions, and that's in the finals. And it's and those are the biggest games of the year. But WWE doesn't treat Survivor Series with that level of importance. They just they just don't. There's no there's nothing really given to the winner other than bragging rights. There's no trophy belts. There's nothing that goes on somebody's statistics. Um, despite the fact that I've tried to add these statistics to wrestlers' Wikipedia, there's really nothing that they win from it. The only importance that is given to this night is when fans give it importance themselves through headcanon, which is a term that I learned while doing Wrestling's Greatest War with Jeff Moss. We have the 1996 review show is up on the site uh, right now as well. But basically, it's only important if you decide in your head that it's important. And some people aren't able to do that. They're not able to add headcanon onto a show. It's like, well, WWE doesn't treat it that doesn't treat it as though it's important, so it's not important. But if you're someone who likes to pretend that pro wrestling is a, is a sport, that, that pro wrestling is a fictional presentation of a sport, then you sort of have to decide that, okay, this is important. Survivor Series is important. This is where we're going to find out the best of the best. And so WWE presented Survivor Series 2020. And we got four champion versus champion matches, along with two traditional Survivor Series matches and a dual-branded battle royal to start off the show. Now, we could go back and forth forever talking about why WWE doesn't treat Survivor Series as if it is this be-all and end-all huge event. I would imagine part of this has to do with the fact that Raw and SmackDown are on different brands and you don't want to create some type of feeling from one network that the other network is being favored. You don't want to um, devalue the, the championships of the losing wrestlers, right? You don't want the Raw Women's Championship to feel secondary to the SmackDown Women's Championship because... Sasha Banks beat Asuka. But if you make a big deal out of Sasha Banks winning the Champion of Champions match, then the Raw Women's Championship held by Asuka, the losing wrestler, then feels less important. And so the combination of those two things, I feel, is why WWE pretends that Survivor Series isn't important. But you can, if you wish... Choose to treat it as important in your mind. All right, but let's just run through everything that happened, and we'll determine 
what in level of importance you can attach to it and what level of importance WWE attaches to it and what any of these results mean moving forward. So let's start with the Battle Royal that was on the kickoff show, 18-person dual-branded Battle Royal. All right, so there's an 18-person Battle Royal on the kickoff show. And I was really surprised, well, maybe not really surprised, but I was impressed with the role that Dominic Mysterio played in this match. Like, keep in mind, this guy, he hasn't gone through the developmental system. He's trained with his dad. He trained with Lance Storm. I think he went to a couple of other schools. But this guy has not been... Um, I mean, his literal first match was at SummerSlam. Like, it was his first professional match. And that match went out live on, on SummerSlam, so it's not like they could go back and re-record it if he didn't do well, just like they couldn't re-record it if they did it well here. So Dominic Mysterio, this young guy in his 20s, hardly ever wrestled before. All of it, like, he's holding his own. He's totally, like, he doesn't look out of place at all. And he played a big role in this battle royal. He was right there at the end. It looked like he had won the match at the end, but then they did this finish that it seems like they do every single battle royal. They had, so Dominic Mysterio eliminated the last person. He's like, oh, all right, you know, I think I won. There's nobody else in the ring. But the Miz had been thrown to the outside, but he didn't go over the top rope. So he comes in and then he eliminates Dominic Mysterio. And The Miz is your Battle Royal winner. So, I don't know what that's going to set up, because Dominic Mysterio, I believe, is on Smack. Yeah, he's on SmackDown. The Miz is on Raw. So it's probably not going to lead to a feud between those two. It's just going to be, all right, The Miz wins the Battle Royal. He's already the Money in the Bank champion, so I'm not sure what they're going to give him for having won the Battle Royal. Maybe a shot at the U.S. title or something. Although... That wouldn't make a lot of sense. So anyway, The Miz wins the Battle Royal, but really kind of the star of the Battle Royal without winning it seemed to be Dominic Mysterio. Another guy who had a great showing in the Battle Royal was Chad Gable. Now, Chad Gable's been doing this thing where he's the leader of, um, is it Team Alpha or the, the uh, Gable Academy or the Alpha Academy? Something like that. He is... Sort of, any, and he's he's coaching Otis, and he's doing all this. So they're starting to kind of give Chad Gable a bit to work with. And he's not Shorty G. They got rid of Shorty G. And it looks like they are going to focus more on his amateur background, amateur wrestling background, the fact that he's a former Olympian, having competed in the London Games. But Chad Gable is a guy who it seems like if they just give him something to do, give people a reason to care about his wrestling matches, then you've got a guy in Chad Gable. You've got someone who can be higher up the card than they're currently using him at. And so it does seem like they've given a bit of a renewed focus on Chad Gable. They're tweaking the gimmick. He was there right near the end in the Battle Royal. So maybe, maybe... Things are turning around a little bit for the guy who was once named Shorty G. All right, the second match then, or the first match on the on the main part of the pay-per-view was the men's five-on-five traditional Survivor Series match. And there wasn't much of a story in this match other than, like, Seth Rollins came in and martyred himself. He said, for the greater good, and then he kind of did a Jesus pose, and then Sheamus kicked him in the face and then pinned him. And this sort of started a, a trend where the, the Raw team was eliminating the SmackDown guys, and it got all the way down to five-on-one Team Raw against just Jey Uso. And eventually the Raw team would sweep. They'd get the victory after feuding with each other over who was the captain for so long. And then after this match, I'm not sure if it was right after this match, but in the back later, Paul Heyman is talking to Jey Uso. Roman Reigns comes out. Roman Reigns is so disappointed 
that Jey Uso lost. And he says he, he lost because he couldn't control his team. And he couldn't control his team because his team didn't respect him. And if his team didn't respect him, then his team didn't respect Roman Reigns. And basically tells Jay to go get his brother and then get out of here. But it would not be the last time we'd see Jey Uso later in the show. All right, so next up we had the Tag Team champion ch Champions versus Champions match. And so I wanted to go through some of the, the past history of these Champion versus Champion matches at the Survivor Series going back to 2017. Three different teams have won these Champion versus Champion matches. So we started with, in 2017, the Usos came in as the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And they defeated the Bar, Cesaro and Sheamus, who were the Raw Tag Team Champions. So, the Usos. No doubt about it, one of the greatest tag teams in WWE history. In terms of longevity, titles won, actually being good, the Usos are great. They're right up there. In 2018, you had Akam and Razor, the authors of Pain, were the Raw Tag Team Champions. They defeated the Bar who this year were the, or that year were the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. So AOP becoming the second team to win a champion versus champions tag team match at Survivor Series. Now, obviously, Akam and Razar, it, it felt like they wanted to give these guys like a Road Warriors type push and they'd be this big dominant tag team. They even gave him Paul Ellering as a manager in, in NXT, but... Then this spring, or it was slightly after this spring, like after everybody had been released during the big uh, pandemic day of releases, uh, AOP was eventually released as well. Now, I think this is just because both have had injury problems. Uh, both members of the tag team, uh, upon getting called up, had significant time on the, on the DL. Wait, on the download? That's not right. The injured list. What does Dio's, Dio stand for anything? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, so AOP, they went in 2018. 2019, it would be the Viking Raiders, who were the Raw Tag Team Champions, and they would defeat the New Day, who were the Smack Team, SmackDown Tag Team Champions, as well as the Undisputed Era, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, who were the NXT Tag Team Champions, because last year, the, ta uh, the uh, NXT was involved as well. So New Day had a shot to win the Champion of Champions tag team uh, title match last year. They, they just didn't win it. And I really wanted New Day to win this year. Because my feeling is that New Day is quite possibly the greatest tag team in WWE history. Like, just from a, from a pure statistical point of view. They've spent more time as tag team champions than I think any other tag team. They've certainly, they've had the longest reign single reign uh, of any tag team and they've really become almost like they haven't been put in the main event act but they've almost been like a main event act in a company that doesn't do that with tag teams you know it's like if the new day went to AEW in that tag team division with the young bucks FTR or whatever of course like you can be a main event tag team in AEW even if you're even if they haven't main evented pay-per-views yet. They will. The Young Bucks will main event a pay-per-view. But in WWE, tag teams are such an afterthought that for the New Day to have been as successful as they have been, I think is really amazing. And I wanted them to win a, a tag team champions versus tag team champions match at Survivor Series almost to give that match some credibility. Like, if that match is truly determining who is the best tag team of the year in WWE, then you've got to have the New Day on here at least once as past winners. But they're not on there yet. I mean, you've got some good teams. I mean, the Usos, the Usos are on there. The Viking Raiders are going to be, you know, I, f I feel like when Ivar comes back, they'll be right in the mix again. Fortunately for AOP, that didn't really work out. So I wanted New Day to win this because I wanted them to win one of these matches before sort of their run as a, as a tag team is over. And now you've got big E going into the singles division. So it's just Kofi and Xavier. And uh, so I, like, I'm a little worried the new day will never win this match at survivor series. 
But they had a great match with the Street Profits. Just a fantastic match. It was, and it was so fun because I cared about who won. Like, I wanted the New Day to win. So they had a bunch of near falls at the end of this match. And every time somebody kicked out or, you know, it was exciting. The near falls were exciting for me. Um, now, when they went for the midnight hour, New Day went for the midnight hour on, I think they hit it on Montez Ford. I can't remember. It was one of the Street Profits. And on commentary, they mentioned that they used to do this move. It would be Kofi and Big E. But now with Xavier replacing Big E in the move, maybe it doesn't have as much power as it used to. And so maybe that's what led to the Street Profits kicking out. Um, and eventually the Street Profits would go on to, to win uh, the, the champion versus champions match. So they are the champion of champions in the tag team division. And so just like the Usos were in 2017, just like... AOP in 2018, just like the Viking Raiders in 2019, I think this win really signifies for the Street Profits that WWE sees them as the top, top tag team in the company right now. And and I don't think that there can really be a debate about that. They are the top tag team in the company right, right now. I mean, they've been raw tag champs forever, it seems. I, I can't even remember when they run... When they... Uh, uh, won the titles. I'm actually just going to pause it and check. Okay, as it turns out, uh, they are actually the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, and they sort of, yeah, remember at the draft, they just switched the titles with the, with the New Day there, so it kind of makes the, the statistics a little hard to, to keep track of, but whatever. The, the Street Profits are a really good tag team. And them winning at Survivor Series, them beating the New Day... That, I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world from a uh, perspective of, like, the team that wins this match should be the team that's the top tag team currently in the company, and that's what the Street Profits are. Um, I guess I just got a little upset because I'm a, I appreciate what the New Day have done over the last few years and feel they they deserve this this the honor of having won a champions versus champions match at Survivor Series. But as we've discussed, it's really only an honor in my head and maybe in the heads of some of you, but not so much in WWE and the new day, get all the other honors that there are to get. So I guess it's okay. But moving on, then we had the intercontinental champion against the United States championship match. And to me, this match doesn't feel as important as when the world champions, either men's or women's uh, wrestle each other because the mid card title in each brand and i think i said this last week too it's a little bit like the sixth man award in the nba like yeah it's great it's great you won it you're clearly contributing to your team but if you're a little bit better you'd be on the starting five right well regardless i thought sammy zane did a great job in the build-up to this match and he is it, it's funny when they describe sammy zane's character right because you wonder how liked he is backstage by some of the higher ups in the company that might not agree with some of the things that Sami Zayn says. But then does Sammy just kind of shrug it off as like, well, this is my gimmick. I was like, well, I, I think, I, I think his gimmick is his personality turned up to 11. But anyway, so Sami Zayn, he had a match with Apollo Crews on the SmackDown before this. And Zayn won the match by basically tying Apollo's crew, Apollo's uh, leg like under the ring, like a, to, the, to something attached to the ring, and then he got in and he won by countout. So the idea here is Sami Zayn is sort of the ultimate opportunist, opportunist the, the ultimate strategist, and he will take the easy victory. But there's also sort of, oh, a, how do I want to explain this? It's not a gimmick, or I guess it's a personality characteristic that they are emphasizing about Sami Zayn. And I think Michael Cole referred to him as, as the most oppressed man in WWE. And then he's got sort of this oppression complex where, you know, he feels that 
that WWE is disrespecting him or holding him down. And that played out in this match too, because Sami Zayn kept trying to get disqualified. So he went to the outside of the ring and he's taunting the hurt business. He's sort of like, he's really like getting in their face and he's trying to get the hurt business to attack him so he can win by DQ. And so he then goes on the outside of the ring and he trips over MVP. And in Sami Zayn's head, this means he should win a disqualification. In his mind, he's won the match. And he's yelling at the ref and he's saying that should be a DQ. And then something happens. The ref turns his attention to Lashley. And then MVP grabs Sami Zayn from behind, throws him in the ring. Lashley locks him up in the full Nelson. Uh, Zayn submits. Lashley wins the match. But Sami Zayn, his sort of gimmick continues where in his mind, MVP should have been disqualified first for tripping him and then for throwing him back in the ring. So Sami Zayn in his mind has been oppressed again. He's been held down by the, the WWE again, the oppressive Vince McMahon regime. And so it just fits with his, I guess, victim complex, is it or oppression complex, whatever it is that they were like, like, he always believes that people are, are working against him and trying to hold him down. And anytime he's not successful, it's because somebody else has been trying to hold him down. So, I I don't know. There's just something about the way Sami Zayn has been doing his thing as of late that I've found really entertaining. And I also enjoyed when he would comment about how Bobby Lashley is the champion of only one country, but... Sami Zayn, I mean, he's the champion of all the continents. I mean, that's a bigger deal, right? But again, I don't really, like, I, I didn't put any stats together for who wins the mid-card champion versus champion matches at Survivor Series, because I don't really, like, if this was a sport, the mid-card titles wouldn't be important. They might not even really exist, because I don't know what they stand for. What are you the champion of if you're the U.S. champion? I mean... Like, does it put you one match closer to the world championship? Like, if you go to New Japan Pro Wrestling, I mean, the secondary titles, I mean, they're held by the, the second and third best wrestlers in the promotion. But in WWE, they're kind of held by the mid-carders. The guys who are good, but they're just not good enough to be main eventers. So I'm not sure what winning the champion versus champion match in terms of the mid-card titles actually means. But I thought this was entertaining nonetheless. Like, I I got a huge kick out of Sami Zayn throughout this entire match. So, but that's, I mean, obviously wrestling's subjective, and I find Sami Zayn to be really entertaining. So I found this match to be particularly good. Others may not have. But then we moved into a match which I think you'd really be hard-pressed not to enjoy. Like, you'd have to work to have not enjoyed Sasha Banks versus Asuka. So I do want to mention women's champion versus champion match results in history. So this was the fourth time that the champions of different brands faced each other at Survivor Series. In 2017, Charlotte Flair was the SmackDown women's champion. She defeated Alexa Bliss, who is the Raw women's champion. In 2018, you had Ronda Rousey was the Raw champion. She defeated Charlotte Flair via disqualification. Flair was replacing the SmackDown Women's Champion, who was Becky Lynch at the time. If you remember, they were doing the sort of brand invasion things uh, back in, in 2018. And it was Nia Jax just like full-on punched Becky Lynch in the nose and her face exploded. And there was that sort of iconic image of, of Becky with her blood all over her face and a blue SmackDown shirt. So she was the women's champion at the time, but she was replaced by Charlotte Flair. Charlotte Flair then got disqualified for hitting Ronda Rousey with like a kendo stick and beating her up after the match. And all of this stuff was just sort of setting the stage a little bit for what would be the WrestleMania main event a few months later, Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch. So... Then in 2019, we had the NXT Women's Champion was added to the, miss, to the mix, and she won the whole thing. Shayna Baszler was the NXT Women's Champion. She defeated Becky Lynch, who was the Raw Women's Champion, and Bayley, who was the SmackDown Women's Champion. So 
Sasha Banks with this victory over Asuka in what was a really exciting match. She eventually won it just with a, with a pinning combination. So it was one of those wins where she won. Sasha Banks is the winner. But Asuka looks more like she, she didn't lose so much as she happened to get pinned. She, she was not made to, to feel like the inferior wrestler in the match. It was, it was definitely portrayed as this was a very even match that Sasha Banks found a way to win. And it makes all the sense in the world that Sasha Banks did win and is now the fourth woman in history to be added to this list of champion versus champions match winners in WWE. It's just been a great year for Sasha Banks. I mean, 2020 hasn't been a great year for any of them. It just, like, it, it hasn't. But Sasha Banks, in terms of her career, has knocked it out of the park. Like, Sasha Banks, I mean, Sasha Banks and Bailey's segments were all over WWE programming, like, all year long. And when they finally stuck them both on SmackDown and said, okay, just stay here, SmackDown's ratings went through the roof. And some of that is Roman Reigns, too, but, like, if you look at the segments, Sasha Banks and Bailey, hey, hey. Um, and Sa but, but Sasha Banks, her success... In in WWE, like it's, she had that amazing feud with Bailey. Then she had that you know a great match with Bailey. The 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 ratings did fantastic. It was all over WWE programming. And then, and and now she's on the Mandalorian. She's in the Star Wars universe. And that was just a couple of weeks ago that her first episode really premiered. And so she's in the spotlight for that. And it just seems like like making Sasha Banks the most important wrestler in your women's divisions right now makes sense for WWE. And that's what they're doing. Because if you look at the other top women the co that are in the company, a lot of them aren't available right now. Becky Lynch is due to give birth. I don't know. Imminently. Charlotte Flair is taking some time off. Still don't know when she's going to be back. And Ronda Rousey is gone as well. So all three women from that WrestleMania main event uh, a year and a half ago aren't currently active in the company. But I think Sasha Banks now has really solidified herself as one of not just the top women in wrestling currently, one of the top female wrestlers of all time. In my opinion but I think in the opinions of a lot of people as well. All right, so moving on then, we've got, um, after this, it was the five-on-five -five traditional women's Survivor Series match. And there were, eh, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. The five-on-five the -five Survivor Series matches, to me, just didn't seem like as important as the champion versus champions matches. I mean, obviously, the the surviving members will probably move up the rankings a little bit. But anyway, let's just get to the end of this match. Lana was declared the sole survivor of Team Raw. And they've been building this up on Raw through segments that you are likely fast-forwarding through. Nia Jax has been putting Lana through a table like every week for the last two to three months. And I think the storyline here is that Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, who are the uh, women's tag team champions, they're bullying Lana. They're, Lana's being bullied, you know. And so in this match, they made her just stand on the steps. They were like, you stand there. And I really get this idea that they're being told, like, you're going to treat Lana terribly. And we want people who have been bullied to relate with Lana and live vicariously through Lana as she gives her bullies their comeuppance. But anyway, the end of this match came when Bianca Belair and Nia Jax were both counted out and that left Lana as the sole survivor on Team Raw. And this sort of coincides with the documentary that was released on the WWE Network about Lana where she kind of opens up about struggles with mental health. And I'm glad that she did that because she 
talked about how she gets a lot of hate on on social media. And one thing that I have to do because I I write news for for scoops.com is I I go on the social media accounts for a lot of these wrestlers uh just to pick out like you know tweets that they've sent and add them onto articles and things like that. But you see these comments that are made from people to these wrestlers. And I understand that a lot of the the trolls and the hateful comments on, on social media, they're coming from people who are very young, um, people who, uh, you know, might be dealing with um, intellectual development disorders and a lot of that. But there is just so much hate on social media and so many uninformed and poor opinions about wrestling that you really do have to say, okay, stuff said on social media, stuff said on Twitter, stuff said on Reddit, stuff said in the comment section of YouTube. They don't matter. Those comments don't matter. They have no value. They are the equivalent of like something you would hear a heckler say at an event, or you'd hear a heckler say at a baseball game. Like they're not, these are not people who know what they're talking about. But on social media, often, not always, thankfully not always, sometimes these comments do actually get to the person. And the person doesn't, it treats them as if they're, they're hearing it from someone with credibility. They shouldn't do that. They should say, okay, these are meaningless comments from people who, who's, who haven't earned the right to have their opinions respected. That's what you you should think of, of social media comments, right? Especially critical comments. Because it's like, well, why are you wasting your time being all hateful about something you you aren't involved in? You know, you're not in the industry. You're, you don't have a stake in it, but you, you've taken the time to write an angry comment about it. It says more about the level of anger that exists within you than it does the actual thing that you're commenting on. I'm not saying you personally. Hey, one thing I've noticed about the the, the people who are on spo- spoiler-free wrestling social media, you guys are nice. There's a I've blocked a few people, but generally you guys are very nice. Um, but there's a lot of wrestling fans that unfortunately are not nice, and I, I think it's really sad, and I think that sometimes people can say hateful comments because they think, oh, this is a celebrity, they're bigger than me, it doesn't care. Look, people like Lana, other people who are in the public spotlight, part of what drove them to the public spotlight is a desire to want to be loved, right? So they're particularly sensitive when it doesn't happen. And I really, 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 really wish that we would learn from what happened to Hana Kimura and, and really just disengage from, from hateful social media activity. Um, but anyway, that was kind of a powerful watch, some of the stuff that Lana said. And, um, yeah. Anyway, she she was the sole survivor in the Team Raw match here. And so, WWE likes Lana. They're giving her stuff to do. She was the sole survivor here. And there's something going on in terms of a storyline involving Lana being bullied by Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. All right, so then we go to the champion versus champion match for the men's division. And I want to just start out on Raw. because So on Raw on Monday night, Drew McIntyre beat Randy Orton to regain the WWE Championship. And I didn't really see it. I, You know, Raw is a struggle to get through some weeks. And that match came, you know, right at the end. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, well, I've got to stay up and watch... Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton for the title. I mean, God, have I ever missed a WWE championship match? But there's just so much wrestling now. You know, like, there's wrestling on every single night. And in a pandemic, I found I've been going to bed a lot earlier. So sometimes that last segment on Raw, it's not getting watched. And I actually opted to go to bed rather than watch Drew McIntyre defeat Randy Orton to win back the WWE Championship. But, you know what? I thought it made more sense to have Randy Orton as your champion. Because Randy Orton's one of the best wrestlers of all time. Like, in WWE. In terms of, like, championships won and all that stuff. 
So to me, it would have made sense to have him be in the running to win the men's champion versus champions match. But let's just go through history here. And there's actually only ever been, well, now there's been three. There had only been two world champion versus world champion matches in Survivor Series history because they opted not to have one in 2018 or 2019. So up until Roman Reigns won the 2020 men's champion versus men's champion match at Survivor Series, only Brock Lesnar had done it before. So in 2017, the first time they did it, Brock Lesnar defeated AJ Styles. Brock Lesnar was the universal champion on Raw, and AJ Styles had just defeated Jinder Mahal to win the WWE Championship on SmackDown. And they had a really fun match. And I, I, I think the idea was, well, Jinder and Brock Lesnar would not have a fun match. So 2018, Brock Lesnar, again, the universal champion on Raw. This time, Daniel Bryan was the WWE Champion on SmackDown. We had a really fun match between Brock Lesnar and Daniel Bryan. But Brock Lesnar was the one to win. Then in 2019, despite champion versus champions matches happening in like every other division, it didn't happen in the men's world title scene. So instead of them doing a champions versus champions match, Brock Lesnar retained his title over Rey Mysterio and Bray Wyatt as the Fiend retained the universal title over Daniel Bryan. Then we get to this match. Um, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. I thought it was a fantastic match. Much better than I had actually thought it was going to be. And I do believe that Drew McIntyre is starting to feel more and more like a larger-than-life figure in WWE, especially now that he's coming out with the Scottish kilt and that big sword. It's like, all right, this guy feels like, you know, a real significant, um, you know, player at the top of WWE scene now. He's sort of feeling that way to me more and more now. And I thought he really felt that way in this match, too, even though he came out the loser against Roman Reigns. Jay Uso came down to the ring, provided a little bit of a distraction that allowed his cousin to pick up the victory. And then at the very end of the, the segment, Roman Reigns and Jay Uso embraced, because even though Roman Reigns had told Jay Uso to just, just leave, he didn't even want him here. Even though he was giving him that negative feedback, Jay Uso, he didn't leave. He still stayed and he helped his cousin win the Champions versus Champions match. And that won over Roman Reigns' respect. And probably got Jey Uso over as a heel more than he had been. Because remember, Jey Uso, I mean, he was the top good guy on SmackDown for like two months when he was feuding with his cousin. But now the storyline is he's sort of forced to be Roman's underling. Even, so even though we had Jey Uso beating up Daniel Bryan, doing all this dastardly stuff, like fans are still sort of uh, emotionally connected to Jey as in they want good things for him, right? But I think, you know, Jey interfering and costing Drew McIntyre the match, that's just one more reason for fans to, to turn on Jey, even though we sort of see Jey as a character who's got good intentions, is just in a bad scenario. But regardless, there are now two people who have won who have won champion versus champion matches at Survivor Series. Brock Lesnar's done it twice, and Roman Reigns became the second person ever to do it at Survivor Series 2020. And that took us to the main event, I guess. Maybe not the main event. Well, yeah, no, it was the main event, and it was what closed the show. It was The Undertaker's Final Farewell. And... You know, I mean, if you're a big Undertaker fan, this was great. But there really wasn't anything to it. They just brought out a bunch of guys who are Undertaker's friends. And they just had entrances, you know. So if you really wanted to see the Godwins make a ring entrance in 2020, hey, Survivor Series, that was your, um, that was your day. And then the Undertaker did his thing and he came out. And he did a really short promo just saying it's time for him to let The Undertaker rest in peace. And then he he did all his things, and then he went to the back. And I thought to myself, like, maybe they'll do an angle. 
Maybe they'll do an angle. Maybe Bray Wyatt's fiend will interfere. That's why I started to think. I was like, like, are they going to do something here which is going to further a storyline down the road? Is somebody going to going to get over at the undertaker's expense during his farewell and no they just decided to have the undertaker do his farewell as as, as you know i mean he is arguably one of the most successful well he's not arguably one of the most successful he is one of the most successful wwe wrestlers of all time arguably the most successful wrestler of all time so i think the decision was just to give him a uh as clean a send-off as possible and then when we get fans back, we'll induct them into the Hall of Fame. And hopefully, we hey, you know, news of a vaccine coming. Maybe we'll have fans at WrestleMania. We'll just have to wait and see. But that was Survivor Series 2020. And I promise you won't hear me talk about how you can pretend it's the biggest night of the year again until Survivor Series 2021. WWE also officially revealed this week that they are moving the Thunderdome to the uh, uh, Tropicana Field where the Tampa Bay Rays play. Uh, so still staying in the Florida area, but moving to the bigger venue. However, fans will still not be permitted uh, in the seats, even though it, like it's a big, like it's a baseball diamond, right? So I don't know what they can fit in there, like 40,000, 50,000 people. So if you were to do it at like 20% capacity, that's still a lot of people. But they are opting to go with no, with just virtual fans, and it is an indoor venue, so that may play into it as well. Uh, why they have an indoor venue for baseball in Tampa? Actually, I know, I know that it's because they say it gets too hot. But anyway, uh, so Tropicana Field, they're moving there, and that's going to be the new home of the Thunderdome. Another piece of WWE news that came out this week, and this is all from. Uh, information that's publicly available, but WWE settled a lawsuit for $39 million with a group of shareholders who felt that the company wasn't honest about their dealings with the Saudi Arabian government. And this has to do with WWE saying to its shareholders, hey, we're really close to this lucrative television deal in Saudi Arabia. Um, however, it later come out, came out, WWE asked for uh, certain rights fees that were just just well, well above what what the network was was willing to pay. So there was sort of a discrepancy between what WWE was saying about how close they were to a television deal uh, in the Middle East and what was actually occurring, as well as some discrepancies between what WWE was saying was going on with their deal with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and what was actually happening. And so they settled that lawsuit for... Uh, $39 million. How much of this had to do with that plane ride? Remember when the wrestlers were coming back to my, I think it was a, a crown, some Saudi Arabia event. They were coming back and then all of a sudden the wrestlers started tweeting that they were being held hostage. I was like, what? And so the stuff that's come out after, right, is basically the wrestlers were stuck on the tarmac for and they weren't allowed to take off. They weren't allowed to leave Saudi Arabia. But like others did, like, so this is what I don't understand. So like some wrestlers then like chartered a plane and left Saudi Arabia. And, and, and that was no problem. Like Vince was gone. Vince was gone. They were able to get out of there. No problem. But the like one plane that was supposed to take the roster it was delayed or there was some technical thing or or they weren't allowed to leave because there was some dispute between WWE and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I, you know, you can speculate all you want. Some say that like, okay, they weren't being allowed to leave. Others say there was sort of like a technic technical problem with the plane. They couldn't leave. So how much that played into things, I just don't know. And maybe we won't ever find out because this lawsuit got settled uh, for $39 million. And that's that. There was more news this week about the Screen Actors Guild possibly getting involved with WWE, or not, not sorry, not just WWE wrestlers, but just wrestlers. 
And uh, so this is all stemmed from Zelina Vega being released last week. Not much came out this week other than both the Screen Actors Guild and Zelina Vega. They exchanged one pair of tweets basically saying that they met and they had a very powerful conversation. Zelina Vega is now back on on Twitch. And um, so that was really the only development this week in terms of where this potentially goes. And I just wanted to like mention a little bit about like where, you know, where this possibly could go. And some wrestlers, like actually a fair amount of wrestlers do, they are in the Screen Actors Guild Union, but they're not in the Screen Actors Guild Union because of their work in wrestling. They've worked on other projects, right? But it's also a little weird because if you, certain wrestling things will get you IMDB credits and, and certain credits that might apply for getting union chips. So there's some weirdness that goes on. There's an overlapping between WWE superstars, pro wrestlers, and actors, right? Or, and, and certainly stuntmen or st- stunt people. So where this goes is a little iffy because ultimately you would need a huge chunk of active wrestlers that are currently irreplaceable in their promotion, you would need them to sign on. And people in that position usually aren't going to rock the boat. Things are going really well for them, so they're not going to rock the boat. But what the Screen Actors Guild said with the statement that they released last week is that they are going to help wrestlers obtain the protections that they deserve. That doesn't necessarily mean they all have to join the union. Certainly little frameworks, or sorry, certain, the, the groundwork can be laid without them actually joining the union. Things can be done that would make it easier for them to join a union later. And it seems like based on the comments that they've said that Zelina Vega and the Screen Actors Guild have had some sort of conversations in this direction about what can wrestlers do to protect themselves even if they're not in the union. That's just speculation. Maybe some of the conversations they have is like, how do we sort of lay the groundwork to make it easier for wrestlers to get a union going later? We're just going to have to wait and see. Jesse the Body Ventura tried to do this around the first WrestleMania, and it was not successful. And a group of wrestlers that included Raven, and above-average Mike Sanders, if you remember that name, they actually sued WWE at one point for denying them the benefits that employees are supposed to have. Uh, So they actually took WWE to court over the nature of their independent contractor agreements, and that court threw threw the case out, basically saying, like, okay, well, these guys agreed to to the contracts when they signed them. So I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see, really. Um, and then the other factor that that plays into this is is what happens with Andrew Yang when Joe Biden is finally in the White House at the end of January. What? I mean, he can certainly pull some strings and get people to look at what WWE is doing, but at some point, it it's going to be fought in the courts, and that's years. That's years. So, like, if Andrew Yang comes in and says, all right, you know, this is this is all terrible what WWE is doing. They're trying to have it both ways. We're going to need to look at this. We're going to uh, we're going to really cramp down. We're going to prevent you from doing this. That's not it, it doesn't work that easily. WWE's got lawyers. They'll fight everything as hard as they can, and it'll go through courts and maybe in a few years something will come down and we'll get some real change in WWE. But it's going to be a long time. Um, I mean, may, like, who knows? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, Andrew Yang could come in and if he makes a huge deal out of it right away, yeah, maybe it would be something that gets handled a little bit faster. But for right now, it doesn't seem like this is a problem that's going away anytime soon. And it seems like something that's going to be a long fight. But it does seem like like that fight's starting now. That fight's getting going, but this is a story that's just in the beginning, not near the end.
Okay, just before we go for the week, wanted to talk about what is upcoming for this week on AEW Dynamite. WWE hasn't announced any matches for any of their shows this week. Uh, obviously stemming from the Survivor Series. Most of what happens on Raw or SmackDown this week is just going to be fallout from what took place there. But we've got four matches announced for Dynamite this week. And this will be... We've got this Dynamite and then the very next Dynamite after that is the very important AEW World Championship match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley on the December 2nd Winter is Coming special of AEW Dynamite. We have an article up on the site right now where we take a kayfabe look at that match and uh, break down what is gotta be, what definitely is the biggest match AEW's ever put on free television. Uh, that's December 2nd. Coming up this Wednesday on November 25th, We've got Pac teaming up with Ray Phoenix to take on the Butcher and the Blade. And that all has to do with the budding rivalry between Eddie Kingston and the returning Pac, who has now returned and uh, reformed, realigned along with the Lucha Bros to form the Death Triangle. We've also got an AEW Women's Championship match between Hikaru Shida and Anna Jay. Now keep in mind, Anna Jay is still in her first year of wrestling. And so her being in this women's title match on Dynamite, that's both a testament to her and a bit of an indictment on just how thin this women's division is. I mean, nothing against Anna Jay. She's obviously impressed a lot of people to be in the position that she's in. She's only been wrestling a year, though. That's This is a tough spot for someone only wrestling a year. And we said last week, and I sort of want to double down on it, there's some people that AEW could sign to their women's division to get a lot more depth. There was um, Allison Kay was on the on the the pre-show there on Full Gear. I think she could definitely add a lot of uh, veteran savvy to the division. Uh, I definitely love what we've been getting with Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa and the NWA talents coming into the women's division. I think they are really adding something to the show overall. Um, just think, you know, hey, if, if you've got some women out there that have a bit more experience than the women you're uh, you're, you're kind of focusing on right now, sign them up. I, I think Allison Kay would be a great addition. Um, and, and there's some others out there as well. And hey, you know, put Anna Jay on dark. Give her that, give her that experience. And, and when she's ready to go, she'll be ready to go. But Hikaru Shida, I mean, I don't think she ever has a bad match. So I'm not, this will be a fine match. Uh, just saying, you know, if you've got a national television deal and somebody who's only been wrestling a year is going to be in a title match, you might want to check and see if you can do anything to improve the depth of that division. Also on Wednesday, we've got Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian teaming up to take on Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. And then Will Hobbs, who closed out the show last week by joining Team Taz. He's going to be in singles action. His opponent has yet to be announced. Then, as we mentioned... No matches announced for WWE this week, so that's going to do us for the Spoiler Free Wrestling Podcast this week. I've been your host, Ian. Thanks so much for supporting the website, the podcast. Don't forget to check out Wrestling's Greatest War, and I'll talk to you again next week.